I've had clients where, you know, they send you a brief and they say, we, we'd love Art Deco. So this is, you know, we want to go with this style, da, da, da. And then you go through this whole process of concepting, they're putting things together. And then, you know, two months down the line, what they meant was actually Baroque. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, that changes everything. Welcome to Design Pod with me, Hamish Kilburn. And me, Harriet Ford. DesignPod is the contemporary voice for all interior designers and architects on the go. The topics and personalities that are amplified on this podcast will give texture and perspective on the key issues that face modern A&D professionals as briefs and deadlines become much more challenging. But it's also a safe space, if you like, for anyone who's interested in architecture and design. Harriet and I have been working so hard on this podcast concept for what genuinely feels like forever. We've overcome many challenges to get to this point. So for the time being, sadly, due to COVID-19, we're recording these episodes remotely. However, we will get to the point very soon, hopefully, when we are recording each episode together in person, which was always the plan. And until then, I will be leading the interviews with our special guests and we'll be catching up with Harriet and checking in each and every episode. Harriet, welcome to Design Pod. I think we should probably start by introducing ourselves. Good idea. Um, so, Hamish, my company started uh, 20 years ago and we specialise in uh, hospitality and high-end residential design. But prior to that, I started as a junior designer working for a company that um, worked exclusively in hospitality. So I spent my first 10 years of design working for various international uh, interior design hospitality companies. They were based in London, but our work was worldwide. And I'm Hamish Kilburn, the editor of Hotel Designs, which is the leading international hotel design website and the brand that's powering each and every episode of Design Pod. So I've spent my career traveling to far-flung destinations and on the surface of things, people think that all I do is check in and out of hotels, but really the bulk of my job and really the best part of my job, I think, is meeting the individuals who are ultimately shaping the future of design, architecture and hospitality, um, including yourself, Harriet. You know, Design Pod was really born out of these conversations that you and I were having. Um, do you remember when we first met? And how we first met that interview, do you want to just explain I to our lovely listeners? Do I do. So I'd just become uh, president of the BIID and I was on a mission that year to have meetings in unusual places in London. So find places to have coffee in, in places you really wouldn't expect. So I took you to a very bijou, exclusive and underground destination for a coffee and an interview, which actually was a urinal previously. It was a converted urinal. And what makes that whole experience even more special was that that was the exclusive interview that we managed to secure with you, the, the new president of the British Institute of Interior Design. And I just remember speaking to you, having a lovely conversation, then looking forward and just seeing a men's urinal. <laughs> <laughs> it certainly was unique. And that was, you know, that I think reflects British, uh, British design generally is that we are really good at repurposing, um, you know, odd spaces into hospitality spaces. Um, that are quirky and interesting and, and that really um, sums up what, what British interior design can do at its very best I think it was very nicely designed as well I love the way they you sort of sat in the urinal to you know as past the table um, for, to balance your coffee on it was great 
Yeah, absolutely. And from the outside, you wouldn't expect it being a coffee shop as well. Yeah, it's definitely one to go and experience, definitely. So we we thought there was no better place than to start with an episode on, on choosing your lane. So this episode, in fact, this entire series is sponsored by the Bathroom Brands Group, which is, includes established, trusted and well-specified brands such as Crosswater, Burlington, Britain and Clearwater. And with this, this episode on choosing your lane and bearing in mind the fact that bathroom trends have never been as creative as they are today. Crosswater, Burlington, Britain and Clearwater really do have a solution for any style of bathroom, from contemporary to traditional and everything in between. And I guess, Harriet, it's a really good place to start, isn't it, when we're talking about choosing your lane with the bathroom, because now you can inject so much personality in the bathroom where you couldn't a few years ago for some reason. Yes, I agree, Hamish. I think, you know, originally the bathroom was seen as the sort of the bath, which we haven't, you know, stepped out of the bath into a shower at that point. The bath, the toilet, the wash hand basin on a pedestal. If you're really lucky and just a little bit continental, maybe a bidet. Um, but a lot has evolved since then. Um, you know, we, we, we lived with plain white porcelain and uh, chrome or possibly even originally brass, um, brassware. And we moved on to a slightly dodgy period of avocado or sea green porcelain. And, but now we've moved on to a time where we can have porcelain in almost any colour. Our brassware can be in a myriad of finishes. And uh, we've got much more experimental with what we, you know, what we, with the way we do bathrooms. And, and that's driven by, you know, the wellness trend, which translates into not only residential bathrooms, but um, hospitality, healthcare, um, you know, uh, 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 gyms and wellness centres, spas. So it's a very important part of our life. I think it's a really exciting time to be a designer and an architect with, with all these things happening around us. There's, there's a lot more openness for, um, for these conversations to happen and for things to change and to things to challenge what was conventionally there totally. What, what does choosing your lane mean to you? It's a good question. I, um, and I had to think about I guess um, the field's very wide open in design. Um, there are lots of different avenues you can go down. And, um, you know, my interior design um, uh, career started um, by being introduced to hospitality. And I hadn't at that point even thought about hospitality, but I was given the opportunity as a design assistant to try that out. And it did form a really important part of my career and, and, and continues to do so. But I think also you look, need to look at where your skills are best placed, you know, what sort of skills you have. Um, some people like a more corporate approach to their working environment. Some people like a more pers personality-based, smaller um, arena to work in, which may drive you towards hospitality, retail, office design on one side, or it might drive you towards residential on the other. Um, and I think it's just where you're most comfortable expressing yourself, really. So your design style may be more appropriate to one one field or another. Um, and, you know, again, as I just go back to early influences, I think, you know, you can't um, underestimate how much those formative years when you come out of um, design school um, affect you when you actually get into a design office and you're faced with the real world rather than the, uh, the, the design school um, Totally. We've we spoken about that before, haven't we? Yeah, we've, we've, we've spoken about how, you know, it's all very well learning this, um, you know, design and architecture and learning all the modules at university. But there's a, it's a really another thing, putting it into practice and, and coming across the hurdles that, that you, you know, you come across as, as a practitioner. Um, 
currently it's it's must be quite difficult to stay in your lane with everything going on let's not let's address the elephant in the room COVID-19 I mean we're all working from home you and I are recording this podcast remotely which comes with its own set of challenges um it's tough for designers to to stay in their lane um what advice would you give to designers and architects at the moment that are just struggling to get motivated well I think that um acceptance that it is difficult um but i think because we've got an end in sight it's helpful to know that we will come out the other side and we will be able to get back to an experience we were more used to previously although i think in some ways the pandemic has given us um the opportunity to really scrutinize the way we work the way we communicate and um you know what the possibilities are now we've all learned to do zoom um so i think it's it, in some ways it's not a bad thing it's, sh- it's shaken things up I think the the things that are difficult is the sort of camaraderie of being in an office, communication that goes on with that, especially if you're at the beginning of your career, really the learning by osmosis from the people around you. Um, Because when you come out of design school, you are very, you know, you are very green. You really don't have all the tools in your tool bag that you need to become a good designer and, and you need to learn from other people around you. So hopefully that um, issue will be resolved once we're all vaccinated and people will be able to get back to the office a bit. Um, But in the meantime, I think you're just uh, trying to um, keep your R&D up. It's really important to be able to continue doing CPDs online, um, exploring products. Suppliers are doing great jobs at trying to keep people um, aware of what's coming out in the market. And I've been doing CPDs online. They've been phenomenally useful. So, um, yeah, I think that would be my advice. I think it's really challenging for anyone who's just come out of university or started a new job, having to having to navigate their their new role alone kind of thing without really that camaraderie. Really mm. difficult. I think young designers will really struggle. And I think probably employers need to understand that this has been for them probably the worst in terms of the disruption to their, their career path. Well, let's hope things get back on track very soon. And you and I are recording in a proper studio, (laughs) as was always intended. Or urinal, (laughs) either or, either or. Um, So our special guest today is interior designer Constantina Tutsuku, who knows all about choosing and changing lanes. I first met Constantina in 2014, and I was taken aback by her approach to design and her way of explaining design narratives, but also her unique ability of injecting a really interesting sense of place into her projects. Constantina was at HBA London for nearly 15 years, and in that time, she worked her way up to becoming the studio's creative director. But recently, the plot thickened when she decided to set up her own studio, Studio Loss. And for this conversation and with this topic in mind, I was really intrigued to understand how that journey's gone. So Constantina, welcome to Design Pod. I mean, you and I have been talking about this concept for so long, we're finally here. But first (laughs) things first, you were creative director of HBA London, one of the leading hospitality design firms in the world. And now you've set up your own studio, Studio Lost. Congratulations, by the way. Thank you. <laughs> why, why did you decide to change lanes when you did? Um, I always wanted to do my own thing. And um, I, I wanted it for a while. I, I didn't quite get around to it um, because I, I enjoyed my job. And uh, I was having fun doing it and opening hotels and all the rest of it with design. Um, but 
um, it got to a point where I thought now is the time to do it. <laughs> um, and I, you know, I think of lanes as something that is, they're wide enough, you know, and they fluctuate and um, they can stretch. Um, it's not something that's, that's rigid. Um, but sometimes you can be in a position where you could get, you know, kind of like suffocating or um, you're not doing as many kind of new and exciting things as you would like. So as you, you know, I was, uh, I was with a company for 15 years and as I worked my way up, I would learn new things and try something different. And that kept it really kind of, um, it keeps you really uh, committed and you have fun. But then when you reach the top, a lot of things you've done already and it kind of gets a little bit repetitive. Um, so you want to, you know, kind of like swap that order again and, and do, you know, kind of things you haven't tried before, which was, you know, setting up a, a company of my own. I had no idea what it would be like. Um, and I, I wanted to try it. <laughs> the, last time, the last time we saw each other, well, no, it wasn't the last time we saw each other in person, but there was there was one time when we, we had a, um, a breakfast meeting set up and we, I think you may have deliberately decided to, to have that breakfast meeting opposite your office um, at HBA to, to see all the latecomers come in because normally you didn't <laughs> see them. <laughs> I was kidding. I was kidding. But... <laughs> You can tell how many people are having like a ciggy break or something between like nine and 11. <laughs> <laughs> but it's one thing from having a whole team of people that you have to keep tabs on all the time and yeah. well, not necessarily keep tabs on because everyone's adults, but, you know, it's going and, and this being your, your, your baby, you know. So what has been the process of setting up Studio Lost? Um, so, so it was in my head, I wanted to do it. Then, then of course it's, it's about finding the right time. So at the end of last year, I thought, okay, now feels kind of good. And I didn't want to leave at a point where I would feel, oh no, you know, I shouldn't have done that. Um, I think by, by the end of last year, well, 2019 anyway, um, I was at a point where I thought, okay, I'm ready now. Like I can look forward and think, okay, this chapter has closed um so, so so that was good and then and then of course you become from you know leading 25 people to kind of just on your own uh, and, it, and it was for a few months so um it took a big workload off my shoulders I felt quite of you know liberated um and and I could just you know almost you can do what you want right totally. <laughs> at the pace that you want <laughs> of course now it's different because we're quite busy with all the uh, you know were coming in and you, you've got a different routine. So I can't, I, I can't compare the first few months. Um, but, you know, other people were also telling me that, you know, they left, you know, very kind of high pressure jobs and it took them almost, you know, two, three months to kind of just adjust to the new, um, the new reality of it. So, Absolutely. Uh, yeah. I think it was a, you know, I mean, this whole episode is on, on choosing your lane. And for me, I kind of get the impression that, lanes completely changed depending on on sort of which um where you are in your career i mean i can imagine when we first met for example yes. in in 2014 i believe it was on the um it was the hilton amsterdam skip i can never get the name right it's a long <laughs> no name you to, did well right. <laughs> <laughs> but you know your how, how different were your lanes then to what oh. they are now and your priorities then to now as well as, as a designer you know that one when we met that was my first um, like press event, like a press tour where we took everybody around um, and it was a, a big project. I worked on it for four years and then um, just hugely coordinated effort to show it to journalists. So we can meet my mm. team because we had to split, there were so many journalists, we had to split down who takes who around and then swap again. 
I think I was. I, I was just fascinated by it. I mean, you say that was your first press trip, that, you know, showing press round, but thank God you did because it was it was such a complex narrative yeah, to get to get right. But what I loved about that project is the sense of place that you injected into it was not obvious at all. So, for example, like the furniture looking down and, and it reflecting, it reflected the um, the aerial view of, of, of Amsterdam, didn't it? With, with where yes. the furniture was placed in the lobby in the atrium which is genius for, for an airport hotel. In my opinion, it really took airport hotels to a whole new level. Um, and so there was of, lots no of little were they just functional. subtle narratives like that everywhere. Yeah. So every corner. And the corner, Delft detail as well. Mm, it was very rich in, in narrative. And um, yeah, that was fun. <laughs> It was such a fun project. And, you know, the, it just goes to show how important research and development is when it comes to researching sense of location. And somewhere like Amsterdam, for example, it having such a complex um, uh, context, I guess, you know, you could, you yes. could go down the real obvious route of yeah. having bikes everywhere, but you didn't. And it was great. And I... We almost started with what we didn't want to projects. do. Yeah, it's like, we're not doing tulips, you know. <laughs> We're not yeah. doing windmills. So the, we started as like what's going out and what's staying in. And, um, but we had a client that was also, uh, and Dutch, I like that, you know, they, they are, they've got a great sense of humor. They're really fun. Uh, they can laugh at themselves. So uh, they were quite eager to push it a lot more um, than perhaps, you know, the operator would have allowed. So, yeah, totally. it, it was fantastic. <laughs> And I mean, that, that project's uh, an important one for me because obviously that's where we met. But you've done so much in your, in your career. Have you, have you got any highlights? Oh, you know, every project is special. I can't say that one is better than the other one because through all of them, you, you learn different things, you know, different countries. I've worked in India, um, in Macau, we did a really beautiful spine, the Ritz-Carlton. In Greece, I hadn't worked at all up until, you know, two years ago. And that was fascinating to find out how... And that's the, where you're from, isn't it? Yeah. So I was born in Australia and, and grew up in Greece. My parents are Greek. Um, but, you know, the luxury hospitality hadn't really taken off up until recently. Um, so there wasn't that many opportunities to work there up until now. Now it's great. Uh, lots of many things uh, and interesting things happening. Um, but yeah, and, and through every project, you know, you, you meet people, consultants, clients, and, and in the end, I think what I realized starting a company from scratch is these are the people that are your support network. And I, I'm really grateful for it. Um, I, I didn't expect it. I didn't take it for granted, you know, but, um, but, you know, you, you start a new journey and you realize that there's people around you that care about what you're doing, where you are. You know, if you haven't set up, they're eager to see you set up and, and let them know what you're doing. So that was really nice. That was something I hadn't kind of um, thought about before, but it's something that I realized in the process. And then maybe it's helpful for people that are thinking of doing their own thing. It's all the good work that you put in or in all the years, you know, you, you take that with you. It, it comes with you. <laughs> it's a nice thing that, that it follows you. Um, so it, is, it, it isn't really building from scratch or from zero at all. It is a natural continuation of your journey in design. Totally. So Constantina, in each and every episode for our, for our special guests, we're going to do a quick fire round in order to get to know them a little bit better. So are you ready? <laughs> I'm always ready. <laughs> So what's the one design trend that you hope will never return? Oh, um, I have to say I'm a, I'm a bit allergic with trends. 
to trends. I'm a bit allergic to trends. Um, if I had to name one, I would say, you know, like long ago when people used to put, you know, TVs in the bathroom, TV screens in the bathtub, uh, that. Um, if I could take TVs out of rooms, guest rooms, I would as well. Yes, I'm a big fan of that as well. Like, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And <laughs> clocks, actually, as well. I quite like seeing like the circadian rhythm of the sun do the, do the work. Uh-huh, okay. Exactly. What's your most used emoji? Ah, <laughs> um, I would say maybe thumbs up. That's always at the top. I use it a lot. It, yeah. it, it says many things, I guess. Like, <laughs> yes, okay, great. <laughs> What's yours? Mine is either the eye roll emoji. Because <laughs> <laughs> you do that a lot, right? Yeah. <laughs> or the um, uh, or the silly face one, which uh, I guess face, explains yeah. a lot. <laughs> you know which one I find sometimes tricky when you want to send a smiley one, but it's not the right smile. Like sometimes it can be too smiley or too joyful or like... I don't know. Do you, you know, know what the I mean? one I can't find is like exhausted without looking upset. <laughs> <laughs> they need, they need to work on it. Just... And they need some decent design emojis as well, but we'll work on that. It's okay. Okay. So <laughs> what is your, what's the most overused word and overrated word in the industry right now? Oh, sustainability for sure. And I only say that because people use it without understanding it. So just people just throw it in conversation and, um, it's also a word that has different contexts depending on what you're saying. So I think uh, it's bouncing around a lot as a word in conversations. Yeah, it's interesting. It doesn't always make sense. Yeah, and, and we've spoken about sustainability a number of times on a number of roundtables and panel discussions. And what I just find interesting is that you said to me once, you said you're yet to receive a client brief that is not wanting a... Um, so, sorry, you're, you're yet to receive a client brief where they're just wanting an eco hotel. Yes. Has that changed? Well, it, it, I guess somebody was listening to that conversation and they thought, oh, I've got one. <laughs> because it does. Yeah, it did. Um, it did change. We're working on a really nice, very, very focused on sustainability project, um, which is fascinating because it's you're thinking about these things from the beginning, like from the material palettes really early on everything has to relate to that um, brief. Mm. Um, yeah, it, it's really, really exciting. And I'm curious to see kind of like as we go through the design phases um, all the way, you know, from every perspective, you know, architecture, MEP, like e- every facet of design has yeah. that sustainability. Do you know what? I, I, a few years ago, I, I heard another word when, when sort of um, talking around sustainability and it's, it's really resonated with me and that's the word conscious. Like as, as soon as you change the word sustainability to, to conscious design, it changes your mindset to not just think about, you know, eco-friendly alternatives, but actually thinking about the whole context of the project. And for me, that really helped understand yes. what sustainability should be in a design yes. context. Yeah. And, and, and a lot of it is also common sense, just, mm. you know, just using common sense for every decision, making sure it's, it's, the, it's the right one. It's a conscious de- decision. Mm-hmm. And it's so transparent in the end if that hasn't been applied, I think. Yes. And I think in the future we'll be even um, more um, kind of sensitive to it. And, and people, you know, guests will be assessing, you know, they'll be looking around and you can, you can tell. <laughs> when things have been thought through or not or where things have come from. 
Um, yeah, I think guests will be scrutinizing a lot more than they have been so far on, on that level. Yeah. So um, what's the one thing you're excited about in 2021? I think I can guess your answer. Um, Well, I'm excited that um, two resources that I've been involved in will be opening. So NUMO, which is the the resort innovation in Creed, the Royal Census will be opening and I was creative director on that one. So that's really exciting. Um, I'm excited about the summer coming and the days getting longer and hopefully um, we'll be able to, I don't know, maybe travel a little bit easier. Hopefully by summer, it's a different, a a better world than it is now. but I'm also excited because we'll be new, uh, moving to a new studio in the next oh. month. Yes. Um, so hopefully the world comes back. Yeah. And you can come and visit. Yeah. <laughs> totally. So you've got some time off. Where are you going to go? To the beaches or to the mountains? <gasps> beaches, for sure. Good a little answer. bit of mountains too. Yeah. So I'll say maybe 80% beach, 20% mountain. Yeah. Yeah. And sketches or renders, if you had to choose one. Uh, always start with sketches, always. Um, I sketch a lot for myself because it's part of my thinking. So I think of something and at the same time, my hand is just drawing it. And then, I mean, a lot of these sketches are not really to show anybody. It's more like to just reach a decision process. Um, but then renders are great because other people, it's a communication tool. You know, clients can see what the vision is. Prospective guests can kind of dream about booking a stay. So they're both part of what we do. So, Constantina, we have some questions from the audience, and our first one is from Julie Clay. And Julie wants to know, gosh, this is a bold one, without naming names, what has been your worst experience of hotel design clients? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay, so good one. Um, You know, I, gosh, I kind of focus on the good things, and I I tend to erase from my memory all all the... (laughs) All the bad stuff. So I'm, I'm kind of struggling a little bit. But I mean, I've had clients where they, they, you know, they send you a brief and they say, we, we love Art Deco. So this is, you know, we want to go with this style, da, da, da. And then you go through this whole process of concepting, da, putting things together. And then, you know, two months down the line, what they meant was actually Baroque. <laughs> <laughs> and then it's oh, just no, like... That changes everything. Everything. Um but I mean, for me, the worst clients is probably the one who's not really that involved. If you're close to the client and there's a back and forth and a conversation, you kind of understand what they mean. So I think the worst ones are the ones where you can't quite get through to them or there's layers of um, entourage and management that you kind of don't really get to the decision maker, I would say. That's the worst client. Yeah. I mean, that makes total sense if there's no conversation there. My current there ones are no fine. <laughs> that's good to know. And then there's, there's one from Nicola Kent as well. And that's um, if there was one piece of advice you wish you had had when starting your career in design, what would that be? Ah, um, I like when I hear the answer to these questions, not so much when I have to answer it. Um, <laughs> I would say... Um, I would advise myself maybe to take uh, things, you know, take a pinch of salt more in a way. Um, you know, you can go through the day-to-day and, and sometimes I look at my diary of like past years and something that can seem like a big kind of disaster or problem and it really isn't, you know, three months down the line or a year later, you go like, oh my God, we stress so much about it and look at mm. it now it wasn't even it was it was nothing in the big scheme of things yeah um 
But so I think I we stressed. This, uh... I think we stressed because we're passionate about the project, and if you didn't have that, arguably, then maybe you'd lose an element of the design. Yeah, yeah, you could. I mean, I always want to do things the right way, right, and just you know keeping standards high and things like that. So I do stress yeah. on on that level. But otherwise, I would maybe advise um, you know my younger self or, or or younger people anyway, just to try things out and have much fun as they can and take more risks. I think I would, that's probably what I would tell myself. Mm, yeah, think, just, just pushing pushing it and yeah, mm. <laughs> it will no, be fine. I think it's, it's good. <laughs> I think mine would probably be to to not worry at night. That my, my, I have a habit of, you know, finishing work, emails get closed and then overthinking what's, yeah. what's going to happen the next day. And I've stopped doing that now, but, you know, in my early career, I was definitely, definitely that person. You're still young, come on. <laughs> Back in the day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it thinks always seem like so serious and so important. And then like, exactly, later, yeah. like, oh my God, I stress about that. I really shouldn't have. I know. And then you look back and they, they end up being the best stories. That's why I tell myself now, any drama that occurs now is yes. just a good story for later oh, on in life. Totally. <laughs> <laughs> I'll let you go, Constance. Thank um, you so let's much. catch up soon. I'm We're really doing honored. a drink when we're able yes. to. Yes, yes, for sure. And that concludes episode one of Design Pod. Thank you, Constantina, for joining us. She really is a breath of fresh air. If you enjoyed listening, please subscribe and give us a cheeky five-star rating so we can climb the podcast charts. Our next episode, which will drop next month, is Architecture Beyond Boundaries. And to really do this topic justice, we're getting a behind-the-scenes access pass into Zaha Hadid Architects Studio. Specifically, we'll be interviewing Christos Passas, director at the firm. We'll discuss a recent rule-breaking project in Dubai, as well as celebrating the everlasting legacy that the late Zaha Hadid herself left behind, not only in the confines of the London-based studio, but also to the architecture and design enthusiasts around the globe. In the meantime, if you want to get in touch with the show, or if you have any questions for Christos, you can follow both Harriet and I on Instagram. My handle is at Hotel Design Editor, and Harriet's is at Harriet Ford Design. Or you can simply email the show with the subject line design pod at h.kilburn at forumevents.co.uk. Stay safe, keep being creative and see you next time.